You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Just to give you a little background on the book of James, because it's actually very different than most of the New Testament. A lot of the New Testament is historical or doctrinal in nature, and James kind of, or prophetic in nature with Revelation, but James kind of takes a a different turn. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus, and it really serves as a summary, if you will, of sage wisdom. Much of the content that James used in constructing this book that, or this letter that he wrote actually came from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and also from the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. And I don't know if you knew this, but the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are actually poems. So James is writing in a little bit different style here, and his goal is not to teach new theological truth. Like the goal of James isn't to really undergird doctrine, if you will. What he's really trying to do is he's trying to address, or even at times, attack our everyday behavior, behaviors, or lack thereof. It's really a book about life and living life and what that looks like. And it's a short collection of these wisdom speeches, fact packed full, and I know Nick's going to talk about this next one, just packed full of metaphors and one-liners that really challenge the followers of Jesus to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That's what James is all about. He wants to address our everyday living, see that we have living proof to our faith. And last week, Paul did a great job sharing his story. Because James opens up talking about pain, and pain is inevitable in life, right? Like, we do everything we can to avoid pain, but pain comes. And I think he did a great job in showing that, that James is saying, listen, when pain comes, don't waste the pain. And if you didn't hear the message last week and you're going through a difficult time, I encourage you to go back online and listen. Don't waste the pain moments in your life. Allow God to use them as opportunities to mature in your faith. Well, this morning, we want to look at one of the most controversial passages in the entire New Testament, actually, especially in the book of James. And we're going to talk this morning about the production of faith. But before we get into this really complicated, difficult passage, let me ask you a really deep theological question. Ready? What came first? The chicken or the egg? I asked my wife that this week, and she's like, that's not a hard question. The chicken came first. God made it. Hello, right? And I was like, well, people don't seem to think it's that easy because they're talking about it all the time, right? So I was like, well, how about this one then? Why did the chicken cross the road? Right, right, right? Like, if you think the first one's so easy, well, why did the chicken cross the road? And, and, and then a third question, like, why are we so obsessed with chickens, right? Like, what, what is our obsession with the origin and the behavior? Why, why not, well, why didn't the horse cross the road or, or something like that? But why did the chicken cross the road? What came first, the chicken or the egg? And maybe I'm just obsessed with this because I remember walking down Greenbush Avenue one day many years ago, and when I left for school that morning, there was 48 chickens in the coop, and when I came home, 
there was none. And we ate chicken. Every day, it seemed like, for the next three months. But all kidding aside, what, what did come first? The chicken or the egg? And that debate rages on, but it's not necessarily the chicken and the egg. How about this one? How does a person get to heaven? Faith or works? How does a person get to heaven? What comes first? Faith or works? And I don't know if you realize it, but this is a big debate, and it might be a silent debate that's going on in our country, but it's a big debate. And for us sitting in this room, we have an answer, but you do, do you realize that for the majority of our country, we're in the what? We're in the minority. Like in this room, we would think this is a really easy question to answer. What comes first, faith or works? We would probably say faith. But if you ask the average person living today about how to get to heaven, what are they going to say? Works. I'm going to be a good person. So you have this one subset that says be a good person. Then you have this other one that says it's by faith, trusting in Jesus, relying in his grace. So what comes first? Faith or works? Well, why the passage we're going to look at today is so challenging is James comes along and it appears that he says it's not faith or works, it's faith and works. It's not either or. It appears in James chapter 2 in his letter that he says it's both. What comes first? Faith or works, faith and work. And listen, this was an extremely controversial passage for a lot of people. I don't know if you ever heard of Martin Luther before. He was a German monk and teacher. And, and one day he kind of was looking at the church and what was happening in the church way back in the 1500s. He was like, something's wrong here. And he, he wrote up these 95 theses. Uh, and he took and he nailed those 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle Church. Well, one of the main things that he wanted to address uh, that he had a real problem was was this one thing salvation is by grace alone like he said as a church we've gotten way off track and we have to understand that salvation is by faith and grace alone and you know what Martin Luther wanted to do he wanted to actually take the whole book of James and throw it out of the Bible because of this chapter he said, it, it can't be faith and works. What comes first for him, it was faith alone. And what he thought in reading chapter 2 of James is that it clearly contradicted the teachings of Paul, which were influenced by who? Jesus, right? So he's looking at James 2 and he's saying, what gives. 
So what did Paul teach? If, if there's this debate about this not gelling, that it's, it's contradictory, what did Paul teach? Well, we don't have time to go into all the scriptures. I'll just read you one of them because it summarizes really good what a lot of the letters of Paul teach. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, 28, it says, We maintain that a man or woman is justified by faith apart from not connected in any way apart from works of the law. So Paul consistently over and over his letters to the churches, he taught faith alone, no works. Well, James in James chapter 2 verse 21 says this, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and what? Not by faith alone. So now you see that when Martin Luther was looking at this passage and saying, hey, we're justified by faith apart from any works of the law. Oh, but it's not just your faith, it's what you do, chicken or egg, faith or works, faith and works. What gives? Is there contradiction here? We're going to look at a lot of scripture here over the next 10 minutes. Let's drill down a little bit deeper and see if we can get some answers to this question and we're going to do it by asking some more questions. And if you know anything about me, I love questions. So here we go. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? So James starts out by saying, what's the value if someone says, I believe in Jesus? I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, but has nothing in their life that backs up those claims. Like if they speak words, but they don't show anything. There's good claims, but there's no good deeds. James says, what good is that? Is there really any value is there really any point to that faith? And then he takes it a step further. He doesn't just stay in the what good is it. He asks this question. The end of 14. Can such faith save them? So it's not just is there any good in that faith he really goes after the jugular, if you will. Can that type of faith, someone who claims to be a Christian but doesn't have deeds to back up that claim, can that faith save them? Can faith that provides no good deeds, essentially what he's saying, offer any living proof of Christianity? Can that faith save them? Can good claims without good deeds make someone right with God? So he's asking questions. He's expressing doubt. He's probably creating questions in their mind while he's asking these questions. And then he gives another example followed by another question. Verse 15. 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. So James makes this claim, and then he says, suppose you're living your everyday life, and as you're going about your life, you run into somebody who is in a financial difficulty. Maybe they just lost their job, or maybe they've had some kind of physical ailment happen in their life where they can't work, and you see the difficulty of their financial situation. Suppose you run across someone like that, but I think if James had the time or the writing, he wouldn't have just stopped there. I think he might say, suppose you come across somebody who is an emotional wreck. Their life is falling apart. Suppose as you're going through life on a daily basis, you're running into these people that are going through difficulty trial. Suppose you're going to a church uh, and they have a lack of people that might be serving or suppose you see something in your community you see what what's going on here it's James is not focusing on a financial need he's using that as an example to say suppose you're living life and you come across all these different people in all these different situations in all of these different circumstances Maybe it is a physical need. Maybe it's a financial. Maybe it's a relational. Maybe it's an organizational need. Maybe it's a community need. Suppose you see someone in these conditions or these situations. Verse 16. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. And there's this question again, right? What good is it? So James is basically asking the question that if you claim faith in Christ and there's no good deeds, is there a disconnect? And he gives an example. How many of you walk by people every day you know are struggling financially? Coworkers people in the store, people that are getting gas. How many walk by people you know are struggling physically? I mean, basically what he's saying here is as you're living life, you're going to run across people all the time that have needs. Suppose you see this, and then as a follower of God, you push back and say, man, I'm really, really sorry that they're struggling right now. That's really too bad. And you have the means somewhere within you, again, whether it's emotionally to listen to them, whether it's relationally to let them draw upon your experience of relational challenges, whether it's financially to be able to sell into their life, whether it's organization. Are you tracking with me? Like if you see these people and you're aware of their needs, and you say as a Christian, just as you said, I have faith, and you say as a Christian, I hope it works out okay. But you do nothing about it. What good is it? James is saying, if you see it, say it. But don't do it. What good is that? I think what he's actually saying, is this a good person? I think even more of what he's saying, not just is this a good person. Is this a God person? Is this a person who has saving faith? Is this the type of person that has a living faith? Is this the type of faith that would get someone to heaven? 
So James asks a ton of questions and he's got them wondering and thinking and maybe even doubting. And then after all these questions, he makes a statement. Remember at the beginning how I said this book is full of one-liners? Well, here comes the one-liner, James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action. If you read the King James Version, this is what it's going to say. Faith without works is dead. And there's his one-liner. He asks all these questions. He gives this example to bring it down to this one point. Faith without works is dead. It's lifeless. This type of faith is powerless. What comes first? Faith or works? Well, James appears to say both. So do James and Paul contradict each other? More importantly, does James contradict his half-brother Jesus? Let's dig a little deeper. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So Paul is writing a letter to the the Christians in Ephesus, and he's saying, listen, at one point in time in your life, you were dead. You were lifeless in your transgressions and sins. And Paul's not just speaking to the people of Ephesus here. Guess who he's talking to? He's talking to all of us. He's saying, you all used to live this way. He's talking about human condition. Like if we were to ask Paul when he's writing this letter, what comes first, faith or good works? You know what Paul would say? There are no good works. What comes first, faith or good works? There are no good works. And you know why he would say there's no good works? Because he would say, there's no good people. He says you can't have good works if you don't have good people. And again, a step further, there's no God people. What Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 is there are just dead people. And he says they're worthy of wrath. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children or deserving of wrath. So Paul in Ephesians 2 says, good works. What is that? There are no good works because there are no good people. There's just dead people. That sounds pretty depressing, doesn't it? Pretty hopeless. And honestly, for some people, it is. But it doesn't have to be, right? Because Ephesians chapter 2 doesn't end there. Verse 4, it says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Listen to Paul's words. God's great love, his rich mercy, his grace. This is what brings salvation. This is what interacts with dead people and makes them alive. Is it automatic? Like it's connected there by the word but. Is it automatic? 
Does this salvation just happen? Does this life just happen? Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of, what's it say? Works. So that no one can boast. So salvation doesn't just happen. It's the result of something. And according to Paul, it's the result of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's grace. Well, what does that mean? You know what faith in God's grace is? Faith in God's grace is getting to the place where I believe I am not good enough to get to God on my own. That's what faith in God's grace is. Because we live in a world where people are always striving after God with everything within them. And faith in his grace is finally getting to the place where you recognize no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I strive, I'm never going to reach God. And you know what God and his grace does in that moment when we realize that and we begin to believe that? Instead of us having to continue to reach up to him, you know what he does? He reaches down to us and he reached down to us with his son and that's where grace meets faith and in that interaction, what Paul says is life happens. So according to Paul in Ephesians chapter two, what comes first, faith or works? Faith. He says it's of faith, not of works. But here's the question. Does he totally dismiss works? Does he totally? He says it's by grace you say not of works so no one can boast. Listen to the very next verse. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love the word workmanship there. It comes from a Greek word, poema, which we get our English word poem from. And I'm not a poet, and I don't really do poetry, but I do know if Robert Frost writes something, or Walt Whitman, or Shakespeare, and it's really good, what do we call that? We call that a work of art, right? We call that a masterpiece. We call that something pretty amazing. And what Paul does is says, hey, listen, it's by faith you are saved through grace. It's not of yourself, of work, but you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, every company that creates a product in the Greek, it literally means that which is made or a product. Every company that makes a product has a purpose for that product. And in Paul's words, we are made alive. We are created and manufactured to do the works God has always planned for us. There is purpose for our lives that can only be realized. There is purpose for our lives that can only be realized in salvation. So in my opinion, James and Paul are actually saying the same things. You are saved by faith to do good works. You are saved by faith to do good works. You don't do works to get saved, right? That's backwards. 
but you're saved through faith to do good works, and faith without works is dead. There's really no contradiction, if you will. There's no competing thought. Faith and works complete or complement each other. So let's go back to James real quick. One more scripture, then I'm going to give you an application. James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You say you have faith? You say that you're a Christian? You, you communicate that? And, 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 and really, James is not negating that confession of faith here. He's not saying that that might not be real, right? He's not saying you can't just say it and not have it. But what he's saying is you give me someone who says they have faith in Jesus Christ and they say it, or you give me someone who says they have faith in Jesus Christ and it's backed up by this living, alive life filled with works. I'll show you my faith. By my deeds. You know what Paul or what James is saying? Your deeds, my deeds, are the living proof of our faith. Let me say it this way faith is the root of salvation, works are the fruit of salvation. That my faith is. The root, it's the origin. But my works are the fruit of that underneath work, if you will. So let me illustrate it this way, what James and Paul were saying. So my son, Brennan, he is an electrician. And every day I get to see Snapchat stories of all these massive houses that he's working in and pulling wire. And I'm like, can you put a bid in for me or something like that, Right. But just these massive houses, and as you can imagine, as someone every day that pulls wire and hooks up electric, that he has a few shocking stories, right? <laughs> Pun was intended there. Like, he has some shocking stories. Like, Electrician 101 is what? Shut the power off, right? Like... Shut the... That's Electrician 101. Don't touch anything what? Thank you, thank you. Don't touch anything live because what happens when you touch something live? Right? Like you're baked. You get lit up. So he tells me stories of sometimes when his boss, because he's the boss and he's been doing it longer, touches a live wire and his boss gets lit up. And I'm like, why is he the boss? But that's a whole other story. But listen, you don't touch something live in the electrical world because it will light you up. It's gonna send shockwaves through your system. In the same way, you cannot have someone as big as God enter your life. Enter your heart. You cannot have someone that great Enter into who you are and it not send shockwaves through your system of who you are and who you are going to be. That kind of life, that kind of power entering you, it's got to change something. It's a powerful thing. 
Like, think about it for a minute. If faith brings salvation and salvation brings life, isn't that what he said? By grace, we are made alive. If salvation brings life, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the battered, bloodied, bruised, broken, bleeding, probably in some ways emaciated body of Jesus. Yes? <laughs> laying, laying in a dank, dark tomb. Dead as a doornail. Until. Pum pum. Pum pum. Did you ever really stop and think about what happened to that spear that went into the side and the hole that that made? I stuck my hand a few weeks ago where it didn't belong in the middle of two dogs, and this has been taking forever to heal. And in that dark tomb, after just a couple days, life, life, do you get that? Like life begins pouring into the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, like into the middle of death, and not just death, not just die in your sleep, death, battered, bloodied, broken, scarred, death. And life, life comes rushing in, and it looks so much like us, because even though we didn't hang on a cross, uh, so many people's lives today are battered and bloodied and broken, and relationships have gone this way, and life has gone that way, and their parents did this, or they didn't do that, and their whole life is in shambles, and then they realize that they can't fix it on their own, they can't change it on their own, and somewhere in the middle of that dank darkness... the life of Christ because of his grace because of his mercy because of them getting to that place listen if our goal is to be good people can I just tell you we're aiming way too low at a target we'll never hit. Do you hear me? If our goal is to be good people, we're aiming at a target way too low that we could never, ever hit. Listen, you were not born to be a good person. You were born to be a God person. Not God, but one of God's people, one of his children. That's why you were born, and if your life is all about being good and reaching and striving, you are aiming way, way, way too low. You were made to be alive, alive in Christ, and know what it means to have the overpowering flood of the Holy Spirit in your life. The product of life living and flowing through you 
is not a good person. It's a God person. And when you really understand grace and faith, and when you really understand obedience and works, it will revolutionize it will revolutionize the way you see your life in Christ. So many people are striving to earn God's approval. Whether they're a Christian, I know a lot of Christians that are still striving to earn God's approval. Listen, your goal as a Christian is not to keep trying to earn God's approval. As a Christian, your goal is to let the life of Christ live in you and bubble up in you and overflow. Listen, works don't earn God's favor. This is so important. Works don't earn God's favor. They express gratitude in his grace. Works don't earn God's favor. They express gratitude in his grace. God, you have been so good to me. I want to do things for you now. You have blessed me so much. Now I want to be a blessing. I'm not living my life anymore to gain acceptance. I'm living my life out of appreciation. I'm letting my joy for what God has done in my life to overflow so that I can do good deeds, but not just good deeds, God deeds, his workmanship. And I think, and I'm just about I think this is the major danger, the major danger of our modern-day doctrine. Because this is what our modern-day doctrine teaches us. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me, give me, give me. Prosperity is all about me, 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 me. You know the problem with that doctrine? Is once God doesn't meet what one of your expectations is, what happens? You know what happens, right? Like that very inward, bless me. Give me a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger whatever. Can I ask you honestly, would there be any greater blessing in life than a dead person becoming alive? All that other stuff is just stuff. It's just fluff. It means nothing. And the danger of our modern day doctrine is that if it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, that's an anchor. That's an anchor because the anchor is always you. Listen, we are never more alive than what we were doing, when we are doing what we were created to do, and that's to be a person of good works for the glory of God and for the honor of God. The world says be a good person. I say a million times no. Be a God person. Be a person that is his workmanship. James chapter 2, verse 22, last scripture. James 2, verse 22. You see, you see, that his faith, and he's talking about Abraham, because he gives a whole illustration of Abraham, again, that we're not going to look at. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So when someone looks at your life, what we wanted to say is, Look at the faith they have in Jesus. 
They are so alive and serving God and serving others. They're not just trying to make it. They're not just trying to survive. They are thriving in Christ. You know, one of the greatest ways to thrive in Christ is to get your eyes off of everything that's happening in you and in your life and start pouring out something that God has done in you to others. Like if you want to change your depression level, your discouragement level, your whatever level, start pouring into other people's lives. There's something very self-defeating about selfishness. And Paul and James both say, this is the living proof of our relationship with Jesus. When our faith gives birth to good deeds, to God deeds. So if you're here this morning and you've been living your life trying so hard to be a good person, you know what? It's noble. It's virtuous, but can I just tell you, being a good person is not God's plan for your life. He doesn't want you to be a good person on earth. He wants you to be a God person for all eternity. He wants to give life to you, the power of God to you. A life full of life, a life full of love, And it's not something that you earn through effort. It's something you embrace through grace. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, if you're here today and you're listening to this and you've been thinking about your life and how you've been living your life and you're like, man, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying to please God and feel like I always come up short. And that feeling will never go away. That feeling of coming up short from God will never go away. The only way to change that is to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you say, I need to make a change, but it's not me making the change, it's Jesus making the change in me, but I believe it now. I have faith in that now that I need what Jesus can do going to ask you really quickly to raise your hand. We're not going to call you up. We're just going to pray for you this morning. So if you say, I want to receive Christ, I want to make a transition in my heart from good works living to grace living where works will come naturally. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Father, today I just pray for each and every heart here. You know where they're at. God, you see our striving. You see our striving. And our striving doesn't lead to thriving generally. God, today I pray in this place that each of our hearts would be surrendered to you. That we would embrace the life of God. The grace of God. The goodness of God. Lord, I thank you for the greatest blessing of all, which is your son, Jesus Christ, and salvation. And if you're here today and you've made that commitment before as we all stand together, if you've made that commitment, can I just challenge you as we're standing together this morning, don't let the world suck the life of God out of you because that's what the world wants to do. It wants to suck the life of God right out of you. Let the life of the living Christ flow through you. Don't let anything hold you back. Listen, you are chosen today. 
you are free. If you are a Christian, you are chosen and you are free. Do you realize you're living for eternity? Like you're free now and forever. I'm excited about that. Let's sing about that as we close today. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.